Play is our word for the day. We're going to be talking about Manamaya Kosha, the mind and the emotions, but through the lens of playing. Hi, I'm Teresa, and welcome to the podcast that explores the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. I'm Sherry, and our aim is to connect the individual to the collective through our shared stories of living in a body. And each week, Sherry and I pick a different topic and have a casual conversation. This is Anecdotal Anatomy. We are in the energy creating something that did not previously exist. And for us, that's a whole new structure, which we will get into later. When we're done, by the time we're done the episodes, you'll have a better sense of where we're heading and what we're doing. But we don't want to, you know, fill the bucket overflowing right now. Just give you a little teasers here. Stick with us for the last few episodes. And remember that these episodes never expire. So you can always access and you can always return to different things that may have resonated with you. And they may resonate differently at different times. So that. So much coming up. And I have to say, over this past 86 weeks, I have learned so much. We had a vision. The vision was tweaked and changed and it grew and we let go of some things. We added things. But I do have to say that one of the things that I will be forever grateful in my heart is that you taught me to play a whole lot better. I tend to be a little bit serious, a little bit laid back. And when it comes to playing, maybe a little bit more reserved. Uh, maybe much better at structured play than free play. Like, oh, here's a game with rules. And, you know, that kind of really fed into my experience of play. But then I got to hang out with you and uh, found that reckless abandon and dancing for the fun of dancing and (laughs) dancing wildly without caring what I looked like when I was doing it or laughter yoga last year at camp, which is You know, one of those things where you really have to just let go of your inhibitions to be in a group and just start really laughing uncontrollably. And so thank you, because I did learn to play a whole lot better. And I can remember one one Vox. So Vox is our walkie-talkie app that we use to communicate in real time. And I was trying to tell you a story. And I don't even honestly remember what the story was, but I do remember that our box had to go on and on. I had to keep unboxing and turning it off because I was laughing so hard that I was crying. And every time I came back on to tell you the story, I would start laughing again with tears running down my face. So yeah, whatever it was, all of those emotions, and that's Manamaya Kosha, right? The mind and the emotions coming together. The emotion that was coming out was joy and fun and laughter and playing. But I think the story started with something that was kind of serious. But whatever happened as I morphed through it, I could not stop laughing. That's the best. That is the best when it comes from the belly and you just can't stop. You know, I was thinking about this. This, you know, we're looking at P for camp, even though camp's not happening, the playful practice. That's the only thing we, we designated for the P. You know, I started thinking about, you know, the C is communication and community and connection. And there, you could, we could go on with the Cs. The M for mindfulness and movement. And uh, we had meditation, but we took that off in service of magic. And then I was thinking this morning of mission. You know, that mission could be added to the Ms. And there's so many other Ms that we could do. But P, the final word in camp, this is one of our basic pillars for all of the things that we do is this playful spirit. Because first of all, I think we learn better when we're in play mode and we're not being, you know, told memorize, do this, do that, do the other thing. Though, let me be clear, I think certain things are best learned through memory and rote, like vocabulary, spelling, things like that, that I'm an amazing speller and I learned it by rote. My kids, well, my kids are pretty good spellers. They're okay because I'm their mom. (laughs) But a lot of kids in our district just end up graduating not knowing how to spell because there's all these new innovative ways to teach that no, fucking memorize your your words. (laughs) That's my little PSA. 
but have a playful spirit. And, you know, I was thinking about the mind and thoughts and how, what did I wrote? I wrote this down. I wrote that where I had all these notes that like the, the, let's see if I remember what I said, that the mind, uh, it mindset is the mother of our thoughts. So our mindset kind of allows us to structure our thoughts. Our thoughts are the mother of emotion. So once we think something that is a t that connects to a feeling, so then the the emotions then become the the driver, the 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 mother of the feelings, the experiences, our actions. I think all of them, mind and thought and emotion, and they all feed into action. Like they all have a piece of how we react or respond to our conditions and circumstances. And so this idea of cultivating a playful mindset then then feeds down. I think there are very few things that actually work in the trickle down. And this is one of them. That we we start at the top and we start like this mindset and then everything kind of falls into place. And that kind of led me into, so Manamaya is a strange kosha to be examining play through, I think. Even though the more I think about it, the more aligned it feels. Like you think play, Anamaya, it's physical. You're moving, and there's, there's, you know, like you were saying earlier, off, off of the thing about hide and seek, and you know, I could say playing tag and other things that are playful, like climbing trees, yeah. and even like pranamaya kosha, like the energy, the energy that's built from play, you know, that, and all of these things that serve us on every level of the kosha. The mind, I started thinking, what are the jobs that I've had? What are the things that I've done in my life that, this idea of playful mindset not only made the experiences that may have been menial, some of them were more meaningful than the others inherently, but that the playful mindset created a space where the asshole boss didn't matter as much. You know, the interaction with the public that felt like when I was a waitress or when I was a cashier at Wetlands, I was a cashier at a rock and roll environmentally active nightclub in New York City. I mean, just alone, it didn't matter that I was cashiering and co-checking and I, I got to read books. I got to interact with people. I got to hear amazing music. I mean, everything about this screamed play. And yet it was still, it was a job. I had to show up and I was making, I think, $6 an hour, you know, and I wasn't doing all the things I was supposed to be doing in order to have the privilege of having this job, like taking the little cards and, you know, all over the city and putting them places. Ah. That was for someone else. But anyway, I'm digressing. This idea of play and how that can make even the most mundane experience a bit magical. You know, you started talking about like mindset and that playful mindset is also like mindset for me contributes to the stories that I tell myself. But when I think about mindset in relation to play, my brain immediately, when you started talking about it, went to babies and their developmental process and you know how excited I was when I could go ooh, ooh, and the baby would start my sons would start cooing back or they gave me that first smile that said yeah we're having fun this is good let's do more <laughs> of that we play games to help them set their mindset like not only is the baby learning from peekaboo right you cover your eyes I can't see and then you open it up but there's the mindset that play is a fun way to learn. I can remember when my son was young. I then and still now do not, do not like getting up out of bed early in the morning. It's just not my thing. And so he would wake up and I'd get his bottle and I'd get him cleaned up. And then I would take him back into bed with me. And that habit, I think, stayed with him for a long time. <laughs> but anyway, that's where this playful mindset began. You remember those little round toys where you pulled the string and it would say, and the dog says, ruff, ruff. and each, all the animals were around in a circle. And we would sit there and play that, pull that string and make animal sounds. But he learned all of his animals. So it was a game that was completely founded in play and a mom who doesn't like mornings. And, you know, or the big puzzles with the big pieces like A is for Apple. And then every time they would get that puzzle piece in the right space on the board, the excitement that would come up that they got the piece in the place where it belonged was so playful, but we were teaching letters and, you know, sounds and words all through games and playing. 
And what a great mindset. I wish that there was a way, and there are many, that that idea of playful learning in schools and classes could continue so that as we got to be my advanced years, I wouldn't have to hang out with you to learn, relearn how to play. Well, you know, Teddy, one of our, our participants who we love so much, she's a science teacher. She's an elementary school science teacher at a Quaker school here in Bucks County. And she's brilliant. And I once said to her, if she had been my teacher when I was going through elementary school, I would love science today because she comes into the space, this magical being who is having fun. She is teaching through, like you suggest, like through play and through tactile things, through experimentation, but she always has this joyful aura around her. She, you know, you would find her with fairy ring, wings, fairy rings, fairy wings and magic dust anywhere you see her. And so that is, that is really cool. And there are certain places that do this. We may not find it in our typical educational system, but we have a, a group here called the Kids Music Round. My kids all did it. My friend Marilyn Schwartz was the woman who ran it. She recently left town. She's somewhere, she didn't leave town on it. She just moved out and I, she may have retired. But the program, I think, is still going on. So your kids will benefit from it. She was one of the most incredible child advocates I have ever met in my life. She said the only rule really being there was you can't hurt each other. You can't like get into someone's space and, and you know, bite or pinch or push or anything like that. But she made the space for every type of learner to have a voice, to have an energy there. She says, if your kid is a kinesthetic learner, then let it be. If your kid needs to, what I don't even really know what that means personally, but run around and do your thing. Uh, but she used the words and she said, if your kid, never take your children's hands and clap them for them. Let them find the beat. Let them do it for themselves. Like the impulse, and I had that impulse too. Like when the music's coming, take your kid's hands and it's cute and you clap them. But she was like, no, let them discover the music. And she just had such a way of loving all children and knowing that they all had the potential. So this sense of play that she had all sorts of instruments and games. And at the end, we did the big parachute and all the kids would run under the parachute and sit on it. And we were in this big bubble and it was just, it was a magical time. And I just want to say that if you have small kids or grandkids, that these types of programs, I think more than, and I'll say this, I have an issue with the kid writing program, but that's another story. But I think that music and play will take your children far. Yeah, I had- Because um, far. Like, <laughs> because far, yeah. Right. I had my grandkids over on the weekend and I asked my son to bring board games because I wanted it to be a device day and he brought over they were playing sorry and what's the one where you uh, where that has the wood pieces and you have to make not othello not no it has those wood pieces and you have to stack them all up and oh, then jenga jenga uh, a small jenga and they had such a good time not only did they have a good time but my place isn't all that big. So we were watching them play because we're all, you know, the adults are in the same room. But they were playing sorry. And it was so funny because every time they got a card, they'd be like, I'm going to sorry you. And that meant that they were putting them back to home oh. or they were putting them, you know, back three spaces, whatever it might be. But what I, what I was watching and noticing was they took turns beautifully, right? whoever's turn it was. So one of those softer things that we learn from playing is taking turns. And I have, uh, there were four, I have four grandchildren. Somebody's going to win and three people are going to lose the game. I mean, you could keep going round and round and have first place, second place, third place, last place when you play sorry. But, you know, to learn that Sometimes you lose. That's a skill to be able to lose with dignity and grace, right? Not, Not everyone like... gets a prize for showing up. Exactly. <laughs> so they learned that. They learned to read the rules. So we they took out the game and they're like, well, how do you play? And my oldest granddaughter, she read the rules and explained, you know, and reminded them they had played before what it was. So, so many skills that they learned from doing something fun, joyful, and spending time with each other and entertaining us as the adults. <laughs> right? It's always entertaining. So there's the other side. There's always a shadow side to all of these things. And the shadow side, and 
you know, I'm competitive when it comes to Boggle, Scrabble. Word games get me competitive, but I'm a fun competitive because I don't mind losing. I'm a, I'm a good loser and I'm a good winner. Although I, I might fuck with you a little bit and have some fun, but it's all in good fun. Uh, many, many years ago, a bunch of us went to Montauk and a friend of us had a place out on the breakers and it was really fun. And we were all playing cards one day. And I, I'm weird about it saying names. I'll say first names just in case you're listening and you hear your name like, I remember that. So my friend Margot, she is someone who, I, I, I know that we're all love in a body, but she is love in action. She is love, courageous love on this earth. She is just love in a body. And, you know, she likes, she has fun. Whatever she's doing, you know she's having fun. And I just fucking love her so much. I love all the people who are there. So even the person I'm about to say, I fucking love him too. Friend Adam, a little more competitive, a little more angry competitive. And so Margot was on the side of Adam where she could give the other person the advantage. Margot's like, I don't need this card. I know you probably need it, but I don't need it. So I'm going to give it to you. Now, my strategic play would be keep it from that person so that we could, you know, keep playing and, you know, trying to. But Margot was like, if, if it serves them, it's not serving me. Here you go. That infuriated Adam. It infuriated him every time she did it because her giving the other person the advantage took it away from him. You know, like somehow it affected him. So I'm thinking as far as my mindset goes, we can go into these games with the mindset of winning at all cost, in which case no fun is going to be had. And the benefits of play are not going to be available to you because you're not really in the spirit of play. You're playing a game, but you're not in play. So I just want to suggest that, that, you know, I've worked on it. I think that I, in my years of denial of who I think I am, <laughs> I think I probably pushed competitiveness away in service of being perceived as a more laid back. I have fun. You mentioned the word laid back. I don't think laid back and playful are mutually exclusive. So in service of that, but I think that I had to own up to being competitive in certain things. So I started noticing, oh, in Scrabble, I'm, I'm very competitive. Oh, in Boggle. And I'm like, oh, these are all word games. Anyway, less so now. I'm back, Ammon. I dare anyone to beat me. <laughs> I don't I know. know how to play that yet. So you might have to teach uh, me so that I can try. I um, teach my, I taught my kids, but I taught them so that they could beat me. I oh. said, I'm teaching you. And so I said, in the beginning, I would give them all sorts of, if you're okay, I'm going to tell you what I would do and why I would do it. So I was teaching them how to play strategically so that I said, because if you can beat me, you can beat anyone. You might not beat mm. them all the time. And I don't mean to be that arrogant. You might beat me, but you know, that's a roll of the dice thing. Yes. <laughs> so, so many things came up when you were talking. <laughs> um. We would go away for weekends and we were my siblings, whoever could make it. So siblings, spouses, um, my mom was there. So in this particular time, my mom and my aunt were with us on these weekends away. And we often did, often did them in big beach houses where everybody could kind of be in the same place at the same time. And so nighttime generally would wind up with people playing cards and we would play a game called Skippo if you've ever played it. It's a numbers card it. game. And my mom and my aunt always were partners. And my aunt is my um, godmother. So it was just a joy to have her on one of these trips with us. We had so much fun because partners aren't supposed to communicate or share cards or tell you what they have. But they, they had no reservation about openly cheating. <laughs> throughout the game and everybody would be like you're just you're cheating and they didn't win but they had such a good time like my mom would say hey pat i have the two that you need or they would be like putting their finger up and saying so just all of this laughing and fun um at the same time that they were breaking all the rules but anyway we were we were playing for fun we were playing for joy so all of that was okay. But as I was doing some research, and I'm going to see how well I did, as I was doing some research, I found like games to improve memory. And, you know, I am getting older. So, you know, the brain is much like the muscles in the body. You don't like improve it once and then it lasts forever. It's a way of life to play these games that help to enhance our short term or long term memory. 
So this was a list and I learned this so many years ago and I wanted to see if I could do it again. And it was a list of words that uh, you were supposed to have 10 minutes and I wish I kept the screen open, but I didn't. That you could, really test your memory. Yes. A list of words that you needed to remember. So you study them for a couple of minutes and then you go and you do something else for 10 minutes and then you see how many that you can remember. And one of the strategies I learned years and years ago someplace was a story. So here are my words. The clown was sitting on an orange chair, riding a horse, weaving back and forth around the tree on the way to the doctor with the lead pipe. And I got every word in there. And it was, I tried to like just read the words. And I couldn't. But this goes back to the play and the storytelling part of it. And that's what we do, right? The stories the body holds, the story of the body tells. And it was a skill that I learned, oh, so many years ago. I remember using it when my kids would go food shopping with me when I lived way back in South Amboy, which is many years ago. But it was, if you need to remember a list, don't read the words make up a story about the list of what you have to get at the grocery store rather than writing it down just create the story and then before you leave check your list so you don't have to go back to the store or just write a list i'm thinking how long is it going to take to write a story about it (laughs) that one it happened pretty quickly i was like okay so a clown can be playful there was a clown an orange chair a horse a tree a lead pipe a doctor and I just put them all together. Like, Scott, Brad, yeah. Janet, Rocky. Yeah, you got a oh. clown. So, you know, what's better than a clown sitting on an orange chair on top of a horse? I mean, come on. <laughs> with the lead pipe in the living room with uh, yeah, Colonel with, Mustard. With, with Professor Plum, yeah. yeah right. Oh, oh you my went gosh. Colonel Mustard. I went Professor Plum. Look at that. Look at that. Purple and uh, orange. Mm-hmm. That is so funny. Oh, my gosh. So the point well, like, being is that if, you know, if we can playfully engage our mind, I, I started talking about playfully engaging the infant's mind with mind with these different themes to have this playfulness in learning and this joy of acquiring skill and mindset fully integrated with emotions, right? If you can get the baby to coo and laugh, then you've got, you know, thought and emotions coming together. But being somebody who likes to talk about muscles, the brain is kind of like a muscle, right? You have to exercise it. You can't exercise it once and expect it to last forever. I would say it's more like a computer, you know, that needs maintenance. You know, the muscles have a certain way that we exercise them and keep them and maintain them and do all that. And computers have other ways. And I think our brain is more like we need to check in on the operating software. We need to, Mm. you know, see update. I think Stacey uses this as a metaphor a lot in how she talks about things from from uh, Passionate and Prosperous. Uh, so yeah, I think that we definitely do need to maintain. And the fun thing, I think when you first taught the anatomy course that I took, I remember going in and finding the Hannah Montana, maybe it was a little bit after because I don't remember exactly when it came out, but Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, does what she calls the bone dance. Doing the bone dance, doing the bone dance again and again till I get it right. Now, I know the chorus. It's the verse that I have a hard time with, which is, you know, talking about all the bones and the stuff that it's just the skeleton. But that's how she passed her course. She she wrote that song and the song gave her the data that she was able to remember. So story, songs are stories, poetry are stories. Everything kind of can be reduced to this narrative that then can allow us to absorb that information. Uh, I think if you're a singer songwriter, it makes sense to write a song. If you're a storyteller, it makes sense to, you know, write a little story, you know, and even if you don't fall into any of those categories, you know, wherever your leanings are, your strengths, that's what's going to allow you to kind of unfold and unpack this this data. When I was teaching musculoskeletal anatomy at Cortiva Institute, um, it's really like you were saying, memorizing all of those bones, you know, who's really going to be able to do that and hold on to it. It's hopefully a hard doctors. thing to do. Yes, hopefully, hopefully our doctors. Well, at least our orthopedists should know what <laughs> right. they are in a chiropractor, yes. But coming back to those puzzles, A is for apple, B is for boy, whatever it is that I had with my kids, 
there was a box of bones and it was one of the skeletons that or multiple skeletons perhaps that had broken and um pieces might have been missing or extra pieces might have been added in but I called it the box of bones and one one time in each one of the years that I taught that class I would come in with the box of bones and we would dump them on a massage table and the whole group had to assemble a human with the bones so kind of noticing what fits together why does it fit together when you got to a long bone you know is it uh, a femur or is it the humerus based on size because they're very similar in shape so they had to put all the ribs together you know so you've got all of these rib bones that have to articulate with the that's got to be fine yeah bones rib bones, rib bones. <laughs> i feel like there's something to uh to yeah. sing about there yeah but people learned their bones because it was playful. There was one other thing that was playing playful for adults, and I didn't know this was going to be a great learning tool. I had no idea, but I used it every year since then. One of my students once asked, what's your favorite muscle? And I came up with my, what my favorite muscle is, and, but I didn't answer the question. I said, Anybody who can figure out what my favorite muscle is and why it's my favorite muscle will get 10 extra points in this class. And you have all semester to figure it out. And they're like, oh, we can get that in no time. Well, people guessed the muscle, but nobody ever guessed the why. And it was in the trail, bone, trail guide to the body of what my favorite muscle was. But what happened was it was so playful. Because most of the classes, somebody would come in and like, okay, Teresa, I figured it out. And they would tell me the story. And what happened was they were learning their muscles and what they did because they were trying to figure out what my favorite muscle is. In the end, they did not figure out both. People figured out the muscle, but never the why. So my Spoiler favorite alert. muscle... Yes, I will give you the spoiler alert. Um, and for all you'll of never you be able to teach this this way again. Now that it's out there in the universe, now that you just have to go into episode eighty-six to find out what Teresa Macy's favorite muscle is. Keep coming <laughs> back, please. Keep coming back. <laughs> so, for all your vegetarians and vegans out there, my favorite muscle is the psoas muscle, which they did guess. But the reason it is is because it's the filet mignon of of the cow and so it was tasty and delicious and they were and it was in the trail guide i read it because i read the book from cover to cover it was in the trail guide but everybody was looking for the action or some other thing and i went right to my belly the way i mean heart. i go right to my tongue that's a muscle right it is yes very strong muscle yeah you know you're talking about having fun with bones and you know my teaching skeleton which i love so much I have fun naming things. So I named him Dr. McCoy. And most people don't fucking get it. Like, I'm an original Trekkie. I didn't do the whole franchise, but I did the whole Captain Kirk and, you know, Bo uh, Spock and Bones. So Bones. Bones is the nickname for Dr. McCoy. So I, my skeleton's name is Dr. McCoy. And I can always, you know, tell if people are like, what? Why? Why is, you know, a lot of people in our, our business, they go with like, you know, more spiritual names and you know, maybe a deity's name or some kind of thing. But I was like, fuck that, Dr. McCoy. <laughs> hey, I hope uh, you got it. Yes, mm -hmm. I got it. Yes. So play, play for adults, play for kids. And when we used to travel as a kid, as a family, my dad, he, he tried to teach us all chess, but my brother was the best student. Every single family trip, we played Gin Rummy or Gin Rummy 500. And what I remember most, and I'm really good at that game as well, except when I played with my friend Todd, he played Gin Rummy 500 like he was playing gin. So he would hold all of his little families until the very, until he had them all and then put them all down and win in, a, in one thing. And that's what you do for gin. But for 500, you lay them down as you go. But I remember my dad and my brother, I would watch them sitting on the bed playing this game. And if they had, if they needed a card, one of them would say, feed me, feed me feed me, feed me. And there was this joyful, playful interchange as they were both, you know, competitive. They wanted to win the game, but they also wouldn't mind if the other one won and they were sort of helping each other, but feed me, I need, come on, feed me. And I'll give you this, you know, queen, like the higher cards and, you know, whatever. But so my memory 
is not so specific in when and how I was taught the game, but the joyful energy that was cultivated around this idea of playing. We get to play together. And the idea, since we're talking very, very loosely today about the koshas, this idea of feed me. We also talked about the, the words and the kosha, or the words being susceptible to the koshas too. So our first thought for feed me might be on a Maya kosha, mm. but feed my energy, feed my soul, feed my emotional thinking life. Like we can be fed and nourished in so many ways. And this exchange between father and son, and ultimately, you know, with each of us. And I don't remember times when we all played together, but we all had our different times and different combinations. It was joyful. And it, it, it started a trajectory. Like we, my family is very smart. And so like there were, would be word games, you know, defining certain words. Do you know, I learned the word separate from my sister, Julie. And I thought for sure she must've meant to say separate, but no, she was right. Separate. It's to ooze pus. Who knew? Your wound is separating. Like, so like little things like that. I don't remember squat about so much, but like, I remember separating. I remember how to play this game. And I'm looking back and all of these things had that current of play underneath it. Yeah. While you were talking, especially when you said father and son, you know, learning and playing together, it also reminded me that sometimes play or what can be playful can turn into something that's really stressful. And so we need to be, what? It's one of the shadows. Yes. One of the shadows of play is making it too stressful and too competitive. And it reminded me of a couple of stories. I had a uh, client for yoga therapy who was a young man. He was 15 years old. He was a baseball pitcher and his father was the coach. And I don't like where this is going. I know. So when he came in to see me, I could feel that energy. Dad was like, we need his time to get to be more. We need to increase the speed of his throw. He's having really, really a lot of trouble. Everything is starting to backtrack instead of moving forward. And I need your help. So in addition to mindset and breath work and managing stress, this young man was completely twisted in his torso from throwing a ball right-handed over and over and over again. So his body was in pain. And so all of these things on something that he had once loved, which was playing baseball as a little kid, had turned into this stressful situation for him. And here he winds up with me. And so we did a lot of work on both mindset and his physical body. And I started with the physical body because it was tangible, right? So I went right to Anamaya Kosha. How can I help him ease the pain and discomfort in his body and take care of this rotational pattern that he had? And so what I had him do was twists to the opposite side only. No twisting to the way that the torso was twisted from his repetitive throwing, but just to start to balance out and give freedom to his ribcage. And dad started coming in going, oh my goodness, his throw, he got a second on and he got two seconds on and I could hear the pressure. So I made a rule that dad wasn't allowed to stay in the room while I was working with him, which changed everything because we were able to playfully work through a lot of the yoga practices. I got him to sit down and breathe and have, you know, a mindset shift because the mind and the emotions were so off balance in something that he had once loved. And so our role together became not only getting his body to improve his numbers, but to find a way for him to find the love and the joy that he had for the game through mindset work and breath work and managing his emotions and building enough confidence so that he could feel equipped to resolve the conflict that he was having with his dad, which that's was so hard. too much practice. Yeah. It's hard to then go back into, because the dad didn't do the work. He's not interrupting his pattern. Mm-hmm. So this boy is going back into this sort of toxic atmosphere with new tools 
but the the balance of power who knows i mean how did that resolve i don't know i'm filling in after the because did that did the dad come around did did the kid like thrive what the dad i i had suggested many times that the dad also have private sessions with me in answer to like he's not changing his mindset um which he did not do yeah but and we he were would need a different have, kind of therapist yes he yes he might have we were able to sit you know, for the 10 minute wrap up that we did agree to have after each session where dad could be proactively involved, which really did help because I was able to say, so his homework is, which included days off. And his dad was like, oh, he can't take a day off. And I was like, do you want the numbers to go up? Where do you want the numbers to go down? And so there was growth mm-hmm. on both sides. He did offer me a position to train the whole team, which I did not take because I knew that my anxiety <laughs> went, oh my gosh. Would, would go up if oh. I needed to do that. But what it showed how, like, we talk a lot about what the body holds and the, you know, how it holds on to information. And this young man had stories around something he loved turning into something that created anxiety for him. So there was the levels of working with body, but also for him to be, have the tools to sit with that anxiety, find out where it came from and be able to manage it through breath work, but also to be able to verbally express the stories and to be a little bit more in control of the way that they would end. Because his mantra was, I can't tell my dad that. I can't tell my dad that. I can't tell my dad that. Once he got past, you can have a conversation with your dad. I think even though the dad wasn't in the sessions, he would come back and have a little bit of a different approach when we would sit in our after session meetings together. So I'd be curious about 10, 15 years from now, like you've talked about injuries being at the source of the story at the origin of the story. And you were sort of there for the origin of this story that should he experience, you know, different challenges in his body years down the line, you know, how much of that would be related to this, this time. You know, I, when you were talking about I, Ted Lasso and the bad news bears came up for me, like Ted Lasso, I imagined Danny Rojas coming out on the field that first time when they were concerned he might not have enough energy to be on the team. And he was just all smiles. He was all pranamaya kosha, anamaya kosha. He was all the fucking koshas. But, you know, football is life. It is life. And he got out there and he lived it until the football took a life, the shadow of the game. And then he had to go through that whole sort of process to be able to release that story so that he could return to the joy of it. So, you know, shadow and light are always dancing together. And, you know, recently I played a little game on my Facebook, which I could only do a couple of times because my one friend who really interacted, she's like, you're not, tra-, you know, she won, you know, what it was like, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But I did this thing where I said, who said it? Ted Lasso or Coach Buttermaker, whatever, Boilermaker, Buttermaker, the guy from Bad News Bears. So I went on to chat GPT and I had them list what are, you know, 10 inspiring things Coach Buttermaker said. What are 10 inspiring things Ted Lasso said? And no one got it right. I did not put Ted Lasso once. I only put Buttermaker, who was an ornery fuck. He was not someone, you know, he was a douchebag dickhead. Like, I'm sorry, I'm using all the words now. But but he wasn't really. That was just his his manner, his his energy, his pranamaya. Like, that's who he was. But deep down, these two coaches who expressed themselves very differently and Ted Lasso, all playful in joy, except for the humanity of his own, you know, mental health struggles, which I think was brilliantly done. Sorry if I'm any spoiler alerts. Uh, but this idea that fundamentally, when you get down to it, our means of expression may be different, but where can we find those inspiring elements of play? You know, and it doesn't have to be like in the late 80s and during the decade of the 1990s, my mantra was yay play. And I think I, we named a couple episodes, we named an episode, mm-hmm. Yay Play. And, you know, I think I told the story of a friend of mine who used to work for Miramax and was at a table, like doing a, one of their monthly, weekly readings or whatever, not readings, but meetings. And he said to me, he just blurted out, Yay Play. And it was completely inappropriate. But I loved that. I loved that. Um, 
But anyway, so play doesn't have to be, it, it is everything and nothing. It is the board games. It is the jungle gym outside. It is the playground. It is the games that kids make up. It, it's the role-playing games. And oh, we would be totally remiss. I think I haven't seen the movie yet, but Barbie just came out. I know that there's a lot of, you know, either you'll love it or you hate it. I only saw one lukewarm, but, and it's a shame that it became political because, you know, as a woman, and I haven't seen it, so I, I can't really speak to it specifically, but if it's empowering to women, I'm all for it. But this idea, I never liked Barbies. I never played with them as a kid. My friend up the street loved them and wanted to play with them all the time. And I never loved them. The only Barbie thing that I had, which I did love, and I got for Hanukkah one year, was the big Barbie head. The big Barbie head with that you could do the hair and you could do the makeup and it and what I remember about that Barbie head was the smell, the smell of that factory produced plastic, whatever it was that they made it, that you take it out and it's like, it hits your senses with that fake smell. But it also reminds me of all the toys and all like the games of that time that, you know, for me may not have been Barbie, but they all had that smell. So since you brought up Barbie, uh, so I'm sure it's not a secret if anyone's listening. I have a lot of siblings, and therefore there were a few Barbies in our home uh, that we got for Christmas. And there was always the uh, the sisters like, okay, is that my Barbie? Is that your Barbie? No, I put that dress on. No, I put that dress on. So I figured out a solution to know what my Barbie was. I chewed the tips of her fingers off. Skin, skin, yes, skin. Look at you that. You chewed so, off the skin. <laughs> so that when I found the Barbie with the chewed fingertips, I was like, that one's mine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is brilliant. Siblings all over the world now are going to be playing little games like that. But so I'm finding it now really interesting, the shadow aspect of play. And this is not how what we thought about. But I started thinking about the role-playing games that we used to play as kids. And you know, I'll be the mom, you be the dad, you be the kid, you be the doctor, you be the this or whatever. And how, depending on the dynamics of the group who are playing together, there's usually one person at least who emerges as the leader. And if mm. there's like, like in the animal world, if you've got a couple alphas in the bunch, it's gonna not always work out so well. And you know, for Luna, my, my dog, one of my dogs, she's not really an alpha until she is. So she always, she's good with all these dogs. We were at a friend's early on. She was awfully, she was playing with this dog. Next thing I know, they were fighting over a toy and they both became the alpha. And my dog, sadly, I mean, I don't think, I don't, did she draw blood? She may, I felt so bad after this that I think my dog was violent in a situation that she just became the alpha. So the shadow side of play, you know, if two kids are getting together and they're not coming to the compromise, the adjustment, the resolution, whatever it is that needs to happen for communities to play nice together, because we always want our kids to play nice, but they're also learning lessons when they're not playing nice. They're learning how to resolve conflict or stew in it, depending on what their tools are at that time. And depending on, you know, the parenting and the other support systems these kids might have and what they're learning and how they're sort of growing. But I mean, I can think of a dozen times where I was such an asshole. Like, oh my God, Sherry, do you need to be like, just calm down, let someone else have a thing. But I feel like over time, I can see how much I've grown through play, you know, that I don't need to, I can just be playful without having to be in charge, in the lead, right, any of those things. Because I don't think that really exists in the world of pure play. And in that example, you know, kids also get to, or hopefully, as they go through those different struggles in play, will learn to gain awareness of how other people feel, right? If you happen to be like, how do they feel? How does it feel to win? How does it feel to be the the one who lost? I was in softball once. One, Me too once. One season I played softball. They made me the catcher because every other thing I really made too many mistakes. <laughs> and this was at a time where everybody got a trophy. Our team did not win one game and I still got a trophy. Really? That seems a little early for that. That trend. I know. I know. I don't know why they gave us a trophy. We never won. So maybe it was dead last but finished. Who knows? Right? Oh my gosh. And, oh, dead last but finished. That reminds <laughs> me of another play. I did car rallies, which were a ton of fun. We would do 
search for things. We just had so many different ways. People always got lost. You could tell because oftentimes the driver and the navigator, which are often husband and wife or man and girlfriend or whomever, would come back. You could tell who really got lost by who wasn't speaking. <laughs> when they got back, why did I start telling this story? Dead last, but oh, for, yeah. yes. So, you know, Larry and I won a lot of rallies. I am a really good observer. So, and he would drive. I was really good at knowing where we went. I was good at spotting things. I'm just good at noticing what's around me. And this one, this one time, we um, got the lowest point. I don't know what happened. We got lost. It was We couldn't find things because we got lost on the roads, whatever it was, the directions. I don't know. You but stopped we came to smell in. the flowers. We did. We had fun um, being lost all over the place. But we had the lowest point score. But one car came in after us. And do you know that those people wanted to get in trophies so bad <laughs> that they argued over what the rules of dead last but finish are? <laughs> was it the lowest score or the last one in? Oh I was like, boy, you really, really have to be competitive to argue and fight for the last place trophy. So the benefit of stress reduction that typically comes from play would not come from players who are overly competitive. You know, that's a really interesting thing. You know, I was also only one season on softball. It was the Chipmunks. We were mm -hmm. green and white. I can still see the picture. And my friend's parents were the coaches and they were a beautiful couple. And I was not a sports athlete kind of person. And they didn't make me catcher, but they made me right field because or center field, one of the fields where I was way out there, it didn't really matter, you know, whatever, never actually got out there. But when I got up to bat, the my coach actually told me to whatever happened, not to swing. Don't e swing. I think this was the beginning of my rebellious stage because I thought, why would you tell me that I'm a child? And I even had it like I'm a kid. I just want to play. Like, I don't even really want to play, but I'm here, so I might as well play. Wasn't something I think I chose that I wanted to do, but everyone was doing soft little league is what they called it. And so I got up there and the first two were strikes because I didn't swing. And I was like, fuck that. And I swung and I made a double. You know, I didn't get it. I, I ran, I got to two bases and I was like this in my head, like, fuck you. I just because I feel like that planted a seed that I'm not good enough and that I should always hang back and I shouldn't try because if I try, I might fail. And if I fail, then, you know, the team I'm letting down, you know, that all of these things that we do to children, you know, the parents who are overly competitive on. And let me just say this. If you are an elite athlete, that's a whole different story. Like you have a mission that is beyond, beyond play. And so we're not talking to people. I know I have friends whose kids are really amazing athletes and are extremely competitive and need to be in order to advance in their sport or their game. And I think that's amazing. I also will, I'm going to assume that there's a level of play there that is enough nourish, nourishing enough to keep that everything else in enough balance. But I think that when we're, when we're having our kids go out and doing these things and just to remember what it's for, you know, if you've got a kid with, you know, six left feet, you know, let them, let them fall down a lot, right? Let them do the thing. Let them be silly. So I think I even said this when I was at an acting camp years ago at the Hampton Playhouse. I think it was Hampton Playhouse. Uh, the dance instructor. Now, I love to dance, but I am not a good dancer. You talk about loving rules on um, games with rules. I need a free dance. Please don't choreograph me into something because that's not going to work out well for any of us unless I've got a gazillion hours of rehearsal. But so I've always had a lot of fun. And during the audition for the dance groups, the advanced and the, the secondary one, A and B, I got up there, you knew, and I think I said this early season, that the advanced dancers, their capizios had holes in them. There was dirt. You could tell their leg warmers were so worn in. And those of us who couldn't dance our way out of a paper bag had shiny new capizios and ballet slippers and all the stuff and jazz shoes and whatnot. But I would be silly and I would dance across. If I had to do my pirouettes or chenets or whatever, I would, you know, do a little silly dance in the middle. Well, don't you know, he fucking put me in the dance class A. Now, this is my memory of it. And it may be flawed. And it may be that I've told the story with some flourishing words over the years. So this is a general approximation of the story. 
until I went up to the dance teacher at one point. I said, why am I here? I wasn't really learning anything. I wasn't really benefiting from the class because everyone was so much more advanced than I was. And he said, typically dancers take them or that in that group, whatever it was, take themselves too seriously. And we needed some levity. And we thought you would, I thought you would bring some, some joy, fun, whatever, playfulness, whatever the words were to the experience. So he was using my natural sense of, you know, sort of affinity for play to inspire this group of people, which I'm not sure that that had the desired effect he was looking for. But what it did for me, again, like don't swing whatever you do was I'm going to focus on their advancement and you can be the clown. And so it kind of reinforced also this archetype that I feel I have inhabited for much of my life, which is of the jester, the court jester. So, but that I think I don't, I'm not upset with that. In fact, I love that. Then I was like, how am I going to advance? Now I'm like, what was I advancing toward? This, I was not an elite athlete, was not an elite dancer. That wasn't a direction I was going, but it gave me the chance to cultivate my skill of resilience, to be able to cope with a situation that was not ideal and to grow my energy of play, which I am enormously grateful for today. So here we are with purposeful play and free play. When I was taking my, uh, my fascial fitness training, Dr. Schleip, who was one of the teachers, Dr. Robert Schleip, fascial researcher, he would take us out and have us play. He took us to the playground and he's like, if you want to have your body feel like a kid's body, you have to move like a kid. We rolled down the hills and tried to climb on the monkey bars, which is really hard. Uh, to hang over and let your arms do the work. We went on those little rolly, the tilt the world things where you get on and you make them go round and round in circles. I'm not good at that. It really upsets my stomach. We played on the swings and jumped off the swings. All of these things that were just super, super free playing and to encourage us to use our body back in the way that we may have used it when we were younger or children to have this free play to let the body move in all different kinds of movement patterns and directions and different games versus something that might be more purposeful like going to the gym and walking on the treadmill or and I'm not disparaging one or the other he did definitely encourage a whole variety of different things to train our bodies to be resilient to be able to move but the mindset was different between just getting out there and having fun and playing and being creative in how we were going to play i'm thinking hopscotch and dodgeball and all the things we used to do out in the circle which had a purposeful playness to it versus you know, just encouraging free play, which is one of the things my grandkids did when they were over. They played hide and seek in my house. Now, I've got a one bedroom, 900 square foot place. There's not a lot of places to hide. And it was a rainy day. It was pouring the day they were here. So there wasn't any going outside. But this free play, they were so creative to find different ways of going into a kitchen cabinet and moving everything over or hiding behind curtains. Just this way of letting their brains find some imagination and ways to hide in plain sight. Um, it's so funny that you use that term because I was just writing down plain sight because my dad, when he would play hide and seek with my kids in my house, he would stand by the mudroom holding a newspaper and he would just stand there and hide in plain sight and no one ever saw him. They would like be running all around the house, but they wouldn't be looking. I had this friend years ago who used to say, if you can't find what you're looking for, you're looking at the wrong level. Like, just yes. keep looking at But so he would just stand there with the, holding the newspaper. Mm. I think after the first three times, the kids would get onto it. Then <laughs> they would find them, yeah. So, oh you know, how does this play into mind and emotions is the whole playful nature. How do we keep our minds young and vibrant is bringing back play and Having a mindset, like I can tend to be a little bit on the serious side. So this mindset of being playful with wins and losses. And do you remember like years ago, before any of this, before COVID, we did Gish Wiz, before it turned to Gish, the greatest international scavenger hunt the world has ever seen. Misha Collins, who was in Supernatural, started this, this international scavenger hunt because 
if I remember the story correctly, he had all of these art projects he wanted to do, but he knew he wasn't going to get them done. But he also knew he had a huge audience who would probably do them on his behalf. So I don't know if it was the, you know, Jensen Ackles Skittle sculpture or whatever the fuck it was, but people started doing it. And he created this incredible international playtime. Like we got into groups, some groups, he would even ask, are you in it to win it? Or are you in it just to have fun? Well, I don't think I didn't, I couldn't choose because I, of course I wanted to win. I wanted to win a trip with Misha Collins and, you know, go around the world with a bunch of really crazy, fun, creative people. Um, but I also just wanted to have fun. So the first year we just said fun, but you and I, you became, you were on my team one year and we did, we went out to the playground. I forget what the item was, but you had to, you got these lists of items and some of them were things to make, to create, go to places, take pictures, do videos. There were all different kinds of things that were creative and amazingly just brilliant. And one of them, I forget, it was something like doing something someone your age wouldn't do or something like that. And you and Larry and I went to playground and we played and we took pictures in swings and on sliding boards and in the sandbox. And we just did, we played for this thing. Now we were taking pictures and it was a little distracted and we might've played differently if we were kids in the playground, but it was fucking fun. It was fun. Oh, I forgot all about that. I even got dressed in a scuba suit. So at Snipes Farm that summer, they had a beer garden and I, I got remember. all dressed in a scuba suit and went to the beer garden to order order a beer. And it, I really needed it because it was really hot inside that scuba suit when you're I, not in the water. I can't even believe it. I think you, we may have had this exchange once before because one of the things I wrote down while I was writing down my fun jobs, I used to do a lot of um, promotion work. And one of the um, places I was sent was to the South Street Seaport in New York City, which I'm not sure is really there as it was anymore. But I worked, it was for Swatch. Swatch Scuba, the one that could go down atmospheres. And they put me in a scuba suit. Now, you know, I'm cute. I'm, I'm okay. But scuba suit, not a good look for me. Anyway, it was down in the South Street Seaport. My partner was an asshole. He was like Andrew Dice Clay and the first iteration of Howard Stern put together. And, and he wasn't an asshole. And I didn't really like him very much. But he was my partner. And I felt very protective of him. But he had just gotten fired from Wall Street. So he was bitter. So he was an asshole and he was bitter. And he used to eat all of the, the, the people from Wall Street coming in for lunch and doing their thing. And he would yell at them about their disposable income and bio swatch because bada bada. He was just, and I was sort of the Vanna White wannabe doing my thing, supporting this guy. So for lunch, I went to get something in the little lunch area. And someone came up to me and said, your partner's a real dick. And I said, yes, but he's my partner. And only I can call him a dick or something like that. I was overdramatic and had some fun. But when you're in a costume, whether it's a, a scuba suit or, you know, you're square dancing and you put on your costume or you're, I don't know why I said square dancing, <laughs> just came out of nowhere. My in-laws met square dancing. I don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, when you're an, in acting, like you start taking on a character and you're having fun playing with it and then you put on the makeup and then you put on the costume and all of a sudden you inhabit this other character. So there was something I othered myself in the scuba suit because I wasn't Sherry. I was a representative of, of Swatch Scuba, sort of, <laughs> through this promotional company. But I had so much fun doing it. And it was not a fun job, but it was so, you know, again, that's the mindset. It could have been a dreary time, but I decided, no, I, it's got to be a fun time. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why play fits in with Monomaya Kosha. It's how the mind and the emotions work together. Or to create separately. our experience. Yeah. To create create our like they say that thoughts create our world. And then I, but how is that possible? This is how it's possible. Yeah. And we I think when we get to Vigyanamaya Kosha, which is next week, we'll be able to talk a little bit about the how the mind creates our world, our intuition, our intellect, and all of that. But right now play when in its rarest form, in its purposeful form, in its free play, in its competitiveness, all of those things begin to blend our mind and our emotions in so many different ways. And we learn 
I mean, learning through play, there's so many ways to learn. But I mean, come on, learning through play feels like one of the best ways for me. And I know that starting from when my kids were little, learning through play was really high on my list because I could do it in bed early in the morning. And also, I've learned a lot from kids about play and from Siva. So mind, mindset, emotions, the blending of Manamaya Kosha, all through the lens of how playful can we be. So we're going to end with 10 bullet points of benefits of playfulness. Play, and then if you want to know more, we're going to put it in the newsletter. But enhances creativity, reduces stress, improves problem-solving skills, increases resilience, strengthens social bonds, boosts self-confidence, elevates mood, enhances cognitive function, better emotional regulation, and increases optimism. I read something earlier that said optimism over hope. Now, in certain spiritual communities, we talk about hope and fear of being, you know, our greatest forms of suffering. And I think that's more about the attachment to those things more than the semantics. But I think optimism is a really great place to sort of end this and say that that play is is an, an essential ingredient in our overall well-being. And to quote my beautiful partner, yay, play! Until next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.